โอเคกันนิดหนึ่งบรอดแคสติ้งไลฟ์จากสตูนิครีกออนแทริโอแคนาดาเดลี่ดัมมาอินเตอร์สติ้งที่คุณพาร์ทิชิ่งมิดิเทชันกับปฏิบัติมิดิเทชันในคอนเท็กซ์ของอินไซต์มิดิเทชันอืมคือ These are two different skills in many ways. It's possible to be a good meditator, but lack certain skills that are required to be a good teacher. And it's possible to be a good teacher and relatively poor meditator. But on the other hand, the The activity being the same. Well, first of all, obviously, someone who's never done meditation would have a hard time teaching. And someone who has practiced extensive meditation would have a much easier time and a much clearer understanding of. Meditation. Not to mention how important, how useful the benefits of meditation are in in teaching in general, not just meditation, but in relating to others. And then there's the fact that the the activity is the same. Meditation is about well, practicing meditation or teaching meditation is both about training the mind, training a mind. In teaching, you're just training someone else's mind, or you're Being the instigation for the cultivation of understanding. So when you sit down to practice meditation, your first task is basically teaching yourself how to direct the mind. As a teacher, the view is the same. It's just someone else's mind that you're directing. This is, I think, this is useful to talk about because it allows us to say that, to some extent, anyway, you can teach yourself how to meditate, or you can be your own teacher in the practice of meditation if you understand the 
method the means of the method behind how to direct your mind and so last week um, in our study of the Visuddhimagga we came across um, just a brief passage but actually a set of methodology whatever means by which one can cultivate the mind cultivate states of mind meditative states of mind and each one was explained it was in the context of samatha meditation but it's always been a teaching that stuck with me as something that I recognized in teaching especially it made me see that the, the parallel between teaching someone else and by in doing it yourself it said that the key to being a successful meditator is in knowing when knowing when when for things, when to exert the mind and when to restrain the mind knowing when to encourage the mind and knowing when to look upon the mind with equanimity these are the four means of directing the mind important because it's clear that we shouldn't always engage in each of these we should know when know when to and it's this skill that is necessary both for a teacher of meditation and for a meditator as a teacher you have to be alert and in tune with the student's state of mind are they in need of encouragement or are they in need of advice on are they, should they be told to push harder or should they be told to relax restrain the mind should they be told should they be given encouragement or should they just be left alone and looked upon with equanimity Clearly, all none of not all four of these useful in the same situation. Just remembering these four is useful, useful for a teacher, but also quite useful for a meditator. A meditator remembers these; they can uh, adjust their practice themselves. So it's on. This is on the level of adjusting your practice. It's not talking about the actual practice. Of course, when we practice, it's simply about cultivating mindfulness but in order to frame that practice in the right in the right light or in the right mindset 
that we have to be able to adjust. And so that's what this is. So exerting the mind is means cultivating effort, energy. Cultivating those qualities of mind that bring about energy. This is when the mind is overly sluggish or, fo or uh, intently focused. When the mind is inflexible. ability to adapt to keep up with the pace of experience, cultivating an effort. So we have to know when to exert the mind. We should exert the mind So no one we're lacking in, in, in energy. So we exert the mind when we are overly focused, overly concentrated, when we're stuck on a single object or when we're not being mindful, when we're not really acknowledging the object, not really aware of the objects, maybe walking back and forth, but not really aware. Exert our minds in this way. become aware. This is when we cultivate effort, when we cultivate investigation, sending the mind to the object. Do we really know that we're walking? Do we really know that we're lifting the foot, moving the foot? Do we really know that the stomach is rising and falling? We have to insert our minds. Are we making the, the effort, the reminding and we're reminding ourselves, rising, falling, and we're really, really meditating, or are we just sitting, or are we just walking? Conversely, we have to know when to restrain the mind. This is when the mind is too energetic, too excited, so distracted. We're thinking about too many things, and Again, we're not mindful, but for another reason, we're, we're not mindful because our minds are overactive. So we have to know when to restrain the mind. See, focus is it's a lot like the focus of a camera, where you have to, it's not about going to one extreme or another, it's about finding the perfect balance. So that's what we do, we try to balance the mind. You know, if we're too, folk, if we're, if we're too energetic, we have to calm down. So we develop those qualities of mind that are calming. We still practice mindfulness, but we become aware that our our efforts are too energetic and we start to focus on fewer objects or we become aware of the overarching state of mind to sort of collect our thoughts and keep them from becoming scattered. We just say to ourselves, scattered, scattered, or distracted, distracted, or overwhelmed, overwhelmed. 
uh, mind becomes more focused. So it's the same activity, but it's a different quality. And the quality of energy when, when we're too stuck, fixed in the mind. And the quality of calm and tranquility when our minds are too distracted. And we have to know when to encourage the mind. This is when we're feeling discouraged. When we have doubts or when we're disinclined to meditate, you know, when we're disinclined to practice, when we're putting our full heart into it because we're clear in the mind as to the benefit. It's not clearly uh, of interest to us to meditate. So here we need to encourage ourselves. Sometimes this is not even through meditation. This can be through listening to the Dhamma or, or associating with good people. That's why a teacher is so useful because they're good at encouragement. They're good at reminding you why you're doing it. They're good at being an example of why you should do it. Kind of thing. I don't know when we need encouragement. Sometimes we don't need encouragement. And as a teacher, be careful not to encourage the meditators at a certain point. Sometimes they're overly confident and you have to make them question so they can see that they're their confidence may not be well founded. Sometimes it leads to wrong practice when we think we're doing it right. We just go all out ignore any idea that it might be wrong but, as, but certainly one of the teacher's main objectives is or main purposes is to encourage the meditator but finally sometimes the, there has to be a certain it's interesting that it's, it's, there's nothing about discouraging the meditator which um, it's interesting but somehow rings true I'm not sure exactly what the intention is but practically it it, it really is how the opposite of encouraging because the teacher actually should as seems seems count seems unproductive from experience discouragement seems quite unproductive as a teacher it actually doesn't seem useful for a teacher to discourage their meditator. It doesn't seem to work very well. You know, if a meditator is doing something wrong, what seems to work incredibly well is exactly what is said here, looking on with equanimity. In the, actually, in the context of this passage, looking on with equanimity is when things are going well. The meditator is doing well. So when everything is going fine, the teacher, you know, in this case, the meditator, should just continue as they're going, should not adjust their practice at all. But it works, this works quite well when the meditator needs reining in, or when you yourself need to assess your practice. 
when you're not sure. Equanimity is, is the best means of figuring out what's wrong, if anything. When you don't know, you don't notice anything wrong. Equanimity allows you to see what's wrong. As a teacher, this, I mean, the interesting thing is when you're a teacher and you're equanimous, when you sit silently and listen to a meditator and don't give them the encouragement that they're expecting, it's the, sort of the greatest discouragement for wrong behavior that you can give. When a meditator is excited about something that they shouldn't be excited about, or you know, it's like a dead end. When meditators get, start freaking out over experiences they've had or emotions that come up, and when they see that the teacher is unfazed by it, is totally uninterested in it, equanimous towards it, and, and likewise they treat it as something meaningless as well and don't get caught up in it. They come and tell them, teacher, what great things came to practice, and the teacher says, oh yeah, were you mindful of it? Then they can they say, okay, well, that obviously wasn't wasn't enough to surprise my, to excite my teacher, so I give it up. But yeah, knowing when to be equanimous, where it's equally important, the text describes it as important when things are going well. You should never become excited about things going well. And when everything's going well, that's the time to coast. To, or not to coast, to, to be on cruise control, to cruise, you know, to just continue exactly as you've been doing it, to not change anything. It's um, very close to the actual meditation practice of not rocking the boat because you want to see what's going on. You're going to see when things go wrong. As soon as things go wrong, you'll see it if you're impartially watching objectively observing the experience. So just a little something to think about. These four things are a good guideline you want to teach yourself. And, and I think it's essential that you remember these idea, the idea of when, you know, that you should not always be exerting yourself or pushing yourself. You know, the, the whole idea of reprimanding the students goes for yourself. Shouldn't um, be hard on yourself. You should at, at most of the time be equanimous, and it's only when you see that something's going wrong that you react by encouraging, by exerting yourself further, or by restraining your mind, or by providing the encouragement that's missing. If you're doing something wrong, if the mind is misbehaving. And you should just look on with equanimity and let go. And don't follow it, don't cling to it, don't become excited by it. Anyway, there's some thoughts, some dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in and be well.